Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about all different kinds of issues in sports business, disruption, technology, media, athletes. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host Tom Richardson on a very warm day in 2019. Hi, Joe. The Indian summer has hit New York City, and it was one of the hotter, sweatier walks I've had over to campus in a long time. It's hard to believe it's October, early October. No comments. Anyway. So we are here in early October, Tom. I, I just just occurred to me we have not plugged something that's really important to plug. So why don't we just get that out of the, the way? conference? The conference. Oh, we're doing a conference. Be, this show will be out before October eighteenth. Yes. Yep. So why don't you say a word or so two about what's happening? Friday, October eighteenth, uh, will be our second sports business conference at Columbia on campus, open to anyone. By the time this gets posted, the keynotes will have been announced, which are pretty impressive. John Ledecky, the owner of the Islanders will be speaking for, I think, the first time since he bought the team. I've never nice. heard him speak okay. at a conference. Um, Kathy Carter is going to be here to talk about LA 2028. You've got a panel. Yeah, we, I, I probably shouldn't mention the name yet, but we've got a really great panel on yep. digital media. And I know I've heard uh, through the grapevine that there's some other great speakers. Coming John Miller from, from NBC campus. being one. Uh, I heard that's that. excellent. Yeah. Yep. So uh, October 18th, it is on the Columbia website. If you're listening to the program website, very inexpensive to attend a Friday afternoon, homecoming Friday weekend. Friday all day, actually. Yeah, all right. the right. first thing. And homecoming, it's homecoming weekend as well, oh, so nice. okay. worthwhile spending. And, and by the way, you'll get to meet us <laughs> and our guest, Len Elmore. Yes, Len Elmore, welcome. Thank you. It's good to so, be with you So guys. for those who don't know, uh, we've done a podcast with Len before. Um, teaches on a number of issues here. Um, his... Background goes on and on, NBA player, Harvard Law School, NBA PA, uh, still doing a lot of stuff on air, um, sports and society, which is what we're going to kind of talk about today, athletes' rights. So, uh, Len, welcome back to the Cusp Show. It's good to be here, guys. Uh, it's an interesting issue for us to throw around a little bit. As Confucius say, we live in interesting times. Yes. So, and we got a really interesting topic today. Yeah. Very timely. So, so... At the end of September 2019, the issue of athletes' rights and who owns them and what athletes can do, intercollegiate athletes can do, uh, has really come to a head. <clears throat> California Governor Gavin Newsom uh, on the show, um, The Shop. That's so right, that, I saw that. On The yes. Shop, on which LeBron's is the, uninterrupted the HBO show. show. He's lieutenant governor, I right. guess. Yeah. Yeah. Call right, LeBron. right, exactly. <laughs> now Le- LeBron is lieutenant governor, as Len just said. <laughs> Uh, which was, by the way, another very unique way to break news of that size uh, for something that wasn't to do specifically with a particular athlete, but that's something else we can kind of get into is the athlete's voice, which is part of this, Mm -hmm. Um, decided uh, to sign the bill, which will now go through the California legislature and is being looked at by other states to see who actually controls the rights and the likenesses of NCAA. Well, to be clear, it's gone to the legislature. It was a unanimous vote in favor of the pay-to-play Law. I mean, Len can explain this. I think yep. maybe yep. maybe it'd be smart to let the lawyer exactly. in the room and the former player break it down. Just shut up. Uh, I mean, uh, as so I just simplify this for the listeners who are not necessarily following this as a, mm-hmm. as a breaking news story. Well, as I understand it, um, California legislature uh, put together a, a piece of legislation that uh, now requires schools to allow student athletes to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness, which means that you know, if someone wanted to utilize them for an advertisement or endorsement, that they would be able to receive monetary compensation for it, something that under NCAA rules is prohibited. Um, the, uh, 
the interesting element of it is that the NCAA has had a, um, a committee that's been engaging in trying to find a uh, equitable way across the board for all of its members to do something similar if in fact it's feasible, uh, but they haven't reached any kind of conclusion. California's law doesn't take effect uh, for three years, which essentially gives the NCAA a chance to, to kind of work these matters out. And Governor Gavin Newsom signed it into law. So now, again, the clock is essentially ticking for the NCAA to reach a solution or for, you know, the state of California and other states who now seem to want to follow the state of California for reasons we'll get into as we mm -hmm. go forward. You know, the clock is ticking now for the NCAA to find, you know, some kind of solution uh, to the mess that, in my opinion, they created a long time ago uh, because of the foreseeability that this would happen and, and they were blinded to it. Guys, the New York Times story in this today it was, was particularly interesting, brought up a lot of issues about how hotly contested the whole issue was and the lobbying efforts that were, were happening on both sides. But there was a great paragraph, which I want to read because I think it, uh, I'll, I'll pose this question to you, Len, to help answer it. Even if the NCAA ultimately prevails in the courts or through other means, it must reckon more immediately with a question whose answer could reverberate from coast to coast. How could some of the mightiest brands in American athletics, backed by some of the most powerful politically connected institutions in California, suffer such a stunning setback in a statehouse? Um, I, I think that, uh, for one, if you're a politician, you're recognizing you know, who, your, who your voters are. And we're talking about uh, you know, voters who are millennials, who are you know, the future voters. And you know, they certainly have some currency with, with the legislators. I also think that public opinion is something that has kind of shaped the decisions. Uh, public opinion, whether they're informed or not, uh, vastly is on the side of college students, college athletes getting paid for their performance, not really understanding uh, the detail and, and really understanding the ramifications of it. So, you know, I think those elements uh, un, unto themselves uh, are, uh, are are critical when you're thinking about why, uh, you know, politicians, why legislators are, are, are passing laws similar to this. Uh, another reason could be, again, that uh, I'm not so sure that the major corporations and the endorsers uh, or, or those seeking endorsements in, in college sports are really on the side of uh, preventing college mm -hmm. athletes from, from uh, endorsing. This is another way to, you know, get the product out there uh, and, you know, attaching it to um, a, a, a visible, highly visible college athlete uh, certainly is another method uh, that the, these, these products and, and, and corporations would certainly want to use. So, you know, I'm not so sure that they were on the side of the NCAA. Okay. How will this work vis-a-vis -vis the institutional deals with sponsors, especially on, on apparel uh, and some products that actually are used by the athletes themselves? Well, I mean, from what I understand in the law, it does provide for uh, a prohibition against um, at the athlete signing a competing with a competing product. For instance, if a school has a contract with Nike, that athlete who's a student athlete at that school cannot sign with Under Armour. So that that's a that's a prohibition there. But beyond that, I think even bigger would be the issues of, you know, from the standpoint of the product of the apparel maker or whomever. The the how recognizable is this student athlete without 
the university marks, particularly in football. You know, would they have to wear the university's uh, uh, jersey in order to recognize who they are and make, you know, that deal, uh, you know, make it valuable enough for them to pay money? Um, and now you're going to have to break it down and who receives what, you know, and what deal, et cetera, et cetera. But, but in the end, I, I think that the, the issue really is going to come down to, you know, rather than being a, a playing field leveler and all athletes are going to participate, to me, it looks like just the, the highly recognizable ones, um, certainly in basketball and in football, you know, there are only a couple of positions that really receive the, the notoriety and one of them being quarterback. And then what's going to happen? What's the dynamic in the locker room uh, for these team sports? Now, when you're talking about the Olympic sports or the so-called non-revenue sports, you may be able to get a golfer, you may get a tennis player, a swimmer or something who's recognizable to be able to endorse products. And that's good for them. Uh, but in the long run, to me, it, it, it really comes down to, you know, the dynamic in the locker room, particularly for the revenue sports. You know, if the quarterback's getting paid, you know, well, why isn't the, the left tackle receiving some money? Because I protect the quarterback. Why isn't the wide receiver getting some of that money? Because I catch the quarterback's passes to make that individual um, successful. So, you know, there, I mean, that's just one of a number of complexities I think that certainly need to be worked out. I think um, one of the other things that factors into this today more than in the past is the ability for anyone to create your own voice. Um, we mentioned at the beginning of this that this news really was signed uh, on an HBO show created by LeBron James, not in the State House, uh, which drove a lot of interest because of the platform that Maverick Carter and LeBron James ha have created. We've seen Kevin Durant and other athletes, Steph Curry, create their own platform and really kind of build their own voice. One of the things that is interesting to factor into this is an entrepreneurial student athlete on a college campus using the tools that he is given could potentially create his own niche platform that could be valuable to a brand that is not a massive brand that they could not exploit in the past but now be able to exploit in the future and that that really kind of raises the issue of kind of the entrepreneurship but also how you can build your own voice and create a platform that you couldn't have done in the past. Right, Workshop capitalize on the existing platforms where they're active so I, I wonder if there's, in, in any of the discussion or de and debate around this, if anyone thought about the incredible growth of YouTube influencers, for example, and Instagram influencers, where a lot of essentially unknown young people, nothing, nothing against them, but they're not exactly as high profile as, as D1 athletes, um, have created really nice businesses for themselves by hustling and putting out content that people want to consume, whether yep. that's about fashion or makeup or sports or whatever, music, sneakers, there's a real serious business going on out there. So if I were on the lobbying side for pro legislation, I would say, well, if these guys are active in social media, media which many of them are, then why can't they take even a modicum of, it, uh, of advantage of their position in social media to at least receive some advertising or endorsement support? Mm -hmm. See, see, the barrier, is, as I interpret it, has been you can't utilize your presence or your persona as an athlete to, to kind of push those types of endeavors. And therein lies the difference. Now, this legislation has removed that. Uh, so anyone that is entrepreneurial, as you said, that can develop something that, that works, whether they're an athlete or not, you know, they have an opportunity now to sell it in the open market. and receive payment for it. Again, 
uh, although I, I still believe that unless it's something highly unique, which this is what opens the door to the, the uniqueness, unless it's something highly unique, it's still going to be a, a, a small percentage yep. of, young, of people who are going to benefit from it. Now, some have said, and I've read a legislator in California say, well, you know, before they couldn't, you know, help somebody out with their groceries. They couldn't get uh, a job teaching in the summer or something along those lines. Well, actually, that's not true because uh, years ago, the NCA allowed for people to have jobs and you could probably have a job while you were still working, but it's unfortunately not feasible. Now, um, you know, people are utilizing that as ammunition to say that that's why this law is, uh, is, is, is so righteous simply because now it allows them to get jobs, but it, they've always been able to get jobs, at least over the last decade. Right, I'm wondering, Joe, I was thinking about and Len, I'm not sure if you're familiar with these companies I'm about to mention. I know Joe is. I'm thinking about this question of whether just the top athletes will benefit. Because there's been this long tail of athlete sponsorship created through platforms like Open Doors mm -hmm. and Open Sponsorship that I believe is real at this point. So they're not necessarily going to get a big national deal. But if it's a top player, let's say, in the SEC, and it is the left tackle that we joked about mm -hmm. before, it's not well known a national basis, he may be an absolute hero in uh, Georgia or in Florida, it, regionally in other sure. words. There may be an open doors-like situation where maybe it's the, it's the uh, Georgia Toyota dealership mm -hmm. that wants him to do a small campaign on Instagram, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that seems like a reasonable way that this could play out for the lesser athletes, I mean the le lesser pro personalities. Yeah, I mean look, it, it, if it sounds like I'm anti this law that's wrong. I'm actually, I've always been in favor of uh, compensation for name, image, and likeness because to me that's a natural right. That's essentially property. And you can't give property away without being compensated. Um, this is totally unlike being paid to play uh, when people refuse to quantify the benefits that student athletes receive, including cost of attendance, money, um, you know, world class coaching on world-class facilities, uh, room, board, books, and tuition that are tax-free, you know, I would consider that, uh, you know, contractually kind of fair consideration for going out and remaining eligible and playing, you know, to the best of your ability. Uh, but that's one thing. But name, image, and likeness to prevent people from being able to capitalize on that, that's wrong. And the NCAA has no one to blame but themselves. You know, this is foreseeable. It has been foreseeable for years. And as we've gone into the digital age, uh, the refusal to even find an answer and just only recently, you know, convene a committee to look into it is, is essentially malpractice by the NCAA because they knew this was coming. And they could have found ways a long time ago to, to rectify the situation. But, you know, there's no question about it. The name, image, and likeness needs to be, uh, needs to be compensated. The, the problem is how? And there, there have been a number of, um, of, of recommendations, and the one that I think is fairest, when you look across the board, it's not going <coughs> to, excuse me, create, um, you know, an unbalanced playing field when it comes to recruiting from state to state, would be to be able to take the money any student athlete earns uh, for their team or individually, put it in a trust, mm -hmm. and from that trust, make it accessible on the basis of an event, in my opinion, it would be graduation, uh, just because that's the carrot that, that I believe in. You know, in all of this talk, by the way, I haven't heard one word about education. 
Yep. Not one word. And that's essentially what the mission is when you're playing college sports. But if you put it in a trust and, and allow it to be accessible upon graduation or any, any type of, uh, uh, of event, then you know, I think it's a lot fairer. It benefits all student athletes. And again, when we talk about student athletes not getting a piece of the pie, and then there are stories about the past where you know, I'm, as an athlete, I'm so poor and I couldn't get this. I understand that. I played. And during our day, we got $15 a month laundry money. Um, you know, that was, enough, that was enough for a date. Um, so don't tell me about hardships. And, and usually when they interview a student athlete, a former student athlete who wants to talk about those hardships, that was before cost of attendance money. Now cost of attendance money for a, a lot of student athletes can go anywhere from $2,500 to some places, $55,000, $6,000. Um, you know, that's how does that define cost son. of attendance? Um, well, there's a formula that, that is, is developed that things outside of room, board, books, and tuition, there's an, a cost to them, an expense okay. to them, and that they are, you know, reimbursed or, or actually imbursed uh, that money to allow student-athletes to do it. And I would say if you really want to see how it's working, talk to student-athletes who've, who've received cost of attendance money and what they've done with it. It's gone anywhere from paying off student loans, some of them have had to because they get partial scholarships, to being able to subsidize uh, some of the things that are needed, uh, essential materials to get an education, computers and things of that nature. And you know, others have been able to send the money home when money has been needed, which is all great. Uh, but you know, the, the so-called hardship stories are a lot fewer than they were prior to caught the cost of attendance, which came out of litigation that you know, the NCAA was forced to, to provide that. So things have changed and, and you know, we can't go back 15 years and tell those stories and apply them to today. But again, it goes back to name, image, and likeness. You know, I'm totally in favor of that because it is a natural right. Like, could you do us uh, all a favor and um, define from a legal perspective name, image, and likeness and what that looks like in terms of actual uh, manifestation. You know, that's, that's a hard question. I think even legal scholars are still um, uh, are still grappling with it. But essentially, to me, it's it's your humanity. It is um, a reference to obviously who you are, what you do, and identifiable characteristics uh, of the individual. Um, there could be more things that I'm leaving out. I'm not absolutely an expert in that area. But nevertheless, I mean, a long time ago. I mean, going back to philosophers, social philosophers, John Hobbes and others recognize that, you know, it is your natural right to be who you are. Uh, and, you know, your identity is given to you, you know, essentially by your creator. It used to be life, liberty and property. And now it was changed by Jefferson, the pursuit of happiness. But nevertheless, that's part of it. This is your property that is unique to you. And you, you should not be forced to give it away uh, without being compensated for it. And, and that's essentially what the NCAA rules have done over these low many years, uh, essentially forced student athletes to give that away and, and essentially not be compensated, although they would say that would be part of the contract in order to, to play, that's part of the contract that, that uh, you've signed. But I, I don't think you can sign away name, image, and likeness uh, in, in concert with you know, giving your services as an athlete in exchange for your education. So let's talk about what some of those opportunities might look like beyond the obvious, like you get a sponsor to support something you're doing in an ad. Um, would an appearance fee be acceptable 
in this model? Under, uh, from what I understand, under the California law, absolutely. That's, okay. that's so one of the so major one things. The longer tail of athletes, because yeah. you know a lot of these companies would love to have you know athletes from the schools do things. And, and, and in my mind, that doesn't necessarily have to be just football and basketball players. That could be fencers, and that could be rugby absolutely. players, and that could, mm -hmm. that could be lacrosse, whatever. Absolutely, and that, that's and that's even more equitable yeah. to give those uh, student athletes an opportunity to kind of share and utilize their humanity right. uh, in a way that um, you know would be beneficial to them. What about uh, lessons? Because we talked about the some of the equivalencies in the world of music, where there are a lot of full scholarship musicians who are able to do side gigs, give lessons on the, uh, at night, or whatever. See, I think that would have been that that would have been somewhat of a tricky situation, even without this this rule, simply because if you're doing it in the off season, particularly, and that's usually when it could occur. Um, you know, that's similar to working at someone's camp or something right. along those lines. You can have your own camp. But I think under this law, that, that's certainly allowable now. And you can utilize your uh, relationship with the team and the fact that you are a student athlete, you can utilize that to advertise, uh, to say you can give lessons under, under this particular law, whereas before, I don't think you could do that. That's interesting. So uh, along the lines of the musician argument or position, be interested to hear if you think People have said anyone on a college campus, and actually anyone even who is participating in a sport that falls under student activities versus an NCAA-regulated uh, sport, like at Michigan, up until the last couple of years, lacrosse fell under that. At a school like Cutstown, it's rugby. At a school, some other schools, it's now esports yeah, or ultimate frisbee. Or ultimate frisbee, where they can go and monetize their activity. Or if you are a musician, you can go and be paid as a professional musician and still have a music scholarship. In your purview, does this really level the playing field for the only people on campus who were affected were NCAA athletes to use their rights and likenesses for, for whatever they would like to? I think it levels the playing field for those athletes and those teams. Right. I, I think that the, the prohibition prior to that, but the, the allowance of musicians to do it had a lot to do with the school's membership in the NCAA and those institutions, and they wanted the level playing field on that basis. Um, you know, can you, even today, they're speaking to the advantage California schools might have because they're allowing um, you know, compensation for name, image, and likeness, whereas other states won't. I mean, look at the, the recruiting advantage you might have uh, as, as a California school. Huge. Yeah. Exactly. Larry and, Scott, you, although the Pac-12 denounced this, you would think that Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, would be secretly smiling about this at some point. Well, I mean, they, certainly they denounced it because they're part of the NCAA right. and, uh, you know, as members, and they recognize, uh, you know, that in order to maintain that membership and have the balance across the board, that that's the position. Sure, this is going to be might make mark my words. This will just be like the commissioners denouncing gambling five yep. years ago, and now they can't do deals fast enough. Or the state of New Jersey right. saying no more championships in the right. state until right. oh it's okay now we yeah. can play as many championships right. as we want. Well, well, that goes back to the point of you know athletes utilizing the marks of the school. You know, all of a sudden now, if the school is going to be able to get a piece of that athlete action uh, from an endorsement standpoint, a name, image, likeness standpoint, going back to the video games, et cetera, et yep. cetera, which would increase yeah. those deals, suddenly, you know, there might be a change of heart and support. Where does that all stand, by the way, the whole Lynn Bias thing? Uh, Lynn, Ed O'Bannon. Uh, Ed O'Bannon. Yeah, Ed O'Bannon, yeah. Lynn Bias. I don't know 
I'm not. I'm not sure. I I, I recognize that um, you know people have been paid. Uh, those who were owed the money because their name, image, and license was used, um, you know, without their permission, and, and certainly, you know, in um, in in opposition to you know what uh, the, the law prior to what we have today, but. Beyond that, I'm not sure. I don't play the video games, so I don't know. So you're if not they're collecting royalties from your old Maryland games. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there probably are some I games played, out there where you pop. When I played, like they, they were still playing Pong, so, yeah. I, so I, I, I'm not getting a piece of that. But I think that um, you know the student athletes who were within that segment have, have received their payoffs, and, and I think that the uh, the um, producers of those games have gone in another direction, but this will essentially bring them back yeah, without yeah. question. I, I, by the way, I think I've seen like EA or a couple of other smaller game players who said we're going to now start doing an NCAA game or a college basketball game again to right. figure out how to do it. Does this apply to, uh, I assume, uh, D2 and D3 as well? Uh, good question. I think it applies to them. It just doesn't apply to community colleges, at least the right. California right. level. Anyone under the NCAA, I would think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's essentially so, what it did because that's who has established that rule. Right. So where do you, what do you think happens now? Because you said in the beginning of the conversation that obviously this momentous decision will embolden other states and the governors to act. Oh, there's it, no question. Because it is going to be a recruiting. I, I didn't really think about the recruiting angle until you brought it up. Yeah, and, I mean, no and question. Florida and New York are the first two that I think have stepped up. Right. South Carolina. South Carolina. And uh, maybe there's some. So you think this states. will accelerate now that everybody's going to be jockeying for absolutely the opportunities that may present themselves? Uh, unless the NCA comes up with uh, and their committee comes up with something that is going to satisfy right. you know the, everybody's interests in, in those states. Yeah, every state's going to come up with an idea. Some have come up with the idea of the endorsements being placed in a in a trust and and being doled out upon that event, as I mentioned before, but. There's no question about it. In order to stay in the race, this is another arms race, if you will, mm -hmm. um, for colleges and universities uh, going after each other competitively. Um, but more importantly, in the grander scheme, this is uh, that first crack in the dike, so to speak, with regard to compensating athletes in total. Um, I see that now, and you know, it, it will have a profound effect on the way the games are played, the way student-athletes are treated on campus, and quite honestly, the way the games are governed. Um, I, I can see, it maybe outside chance, but you know, I could see the NCAA either capitulating and, and finding a way to, to make it even and fair across the board for everyone, or I could see them ultimately folding. And college sports as we know it today will no longer be that. It will just have, you know, minor leagues, uh, maybe a system similar to the European system, uh, you know, where the clubs come out and they compete yeah. against each Unaffiliated other. Unaffiliated with educational institutions. Yeah, without yeah. having an education mission that they have to adhere to. So, wow. you know, that the people that sometimes, you know, the unintended consequences are, are probably worse than people might have ever imagined. Um, that's why I think it's ironic and not to, you know, denigrate his interests or anything. But it's ironic, a guy like LeBron James who never played college sports is so interested in this. He, right. has, he never experienced it. Right. He doesn't know really what it's about. You know, I can say from this guy's perspective as a, you know, a guy who was raising the projects until his father got a, a city job as a garbage man and, you know, ultimately got to go to college and, you know, was educated and got an opportunity to play professional sports and 
to go forward and do some other things. You know, I, I thought that system handled me pretty well. I mean, mm -hmm. there are some, some equities that need to be balanced. There's no question about it as we go forward. But it's a system that uh, invites success if you take full advantage of it. I think sometimes the naysayers are the ones, if they went to college, didn't take full advantage of this situation and now are bitter. And the others are ones who never went to college. Right. And, and there understand. just wasn't the money associated with college sports back then. Right, not, not nearly as close, yeah. but you know, there was enough money. Yeah, there was there money, was. but not compared to what we got now. So, so was there an example when you were at Maryland where you guys sat around and said, where, you know, man, how come we're not getting a piece of that? Or it would have been great to do something that you were denied at all? I uh, never thought about it. But in, in retrospect, I have in my home a, a huge Converse poster with me coming down with a rebound right in the middle of it. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, how, much, how much could I get if they if they wanted to disseminate that poster now? But it's, you know, that's Interesting. Only, that's the only statute dream. of limitations passing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm thinking it's going to be a really good time to be a lawyer in this part of the business. Uh, unfortunately, it's always a good time. With, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, right. the NCAA Think about it. You've dying. got, like, the gambling stuff state by state. We don't live in a legitimate society. You now society have this anyway, state so. by state. And, well, as I said, the NCAA is dying death by a uh, thousand litigation cuts, and some of it of their own making, because as I said, this one should never have come up. Uh, they could have beaten the legislature to the punch and developed something that was fair and equitable across the board and you know, continue to maintain their particular standards and the education mission, but um, you know, just failed to do so. So this is a self-inflicted wound. There was a great line in the article how the trustee, the key trustees from the California state system called Newsom right before uh, this was finished and made one final personal appeal to him. And he said, guys, too little, too, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but too little, too late. They were told that the NCA group was working on things, working in concert with the, with the, uh, the schools of California. Um, but it was all, it was all kind of bureaucratic BS, I think. And finally, Newsom said, no, enough's enough. We're going to go ahead and do this. And it was, I'll repeat this, a unanimous vote. Mm -hmm. So kind of Think about that. Uh, the rare nonpartisan uh, story in American politics. So. And going back to the point that the governor signs it on Ron James's show tells you that the appeal is to, you know, the millennial voter right now and making sure that, you know, you have their support. So how do you see, just, just one, uh, one more turn to the, uh, to the future. In terms of the, so we're about to start 2020 in a few months. Will this all be settled by 2030, 10 years out? Because this, is, this has been, I mean, you've been living it for decades, but it feels like this is just taking so long to be resolved, this whole issue. Yeah, I, I think it'll be resolved one way or the other, as I mentioned earlier, either the NCAA either capitulates and allows every state to form, you know, their own set of rules, but hopefully those rules are uniform because otherwise not being able to deal with the uniformity of state rules uh, or laws makes it so difficult to function. Or the NCAA slowly um, goes, you know, by the wayside and, you know, the conferences uh, start to develop their autonomy even greater than the power conferences already have consolidation and you know they make their own rules uh, and that's that's what we're going to get um, I, you know once one and done is is gone and 
some way somebody um, pierces that that uh, in NFL rule, which says that you can't play NFL football until what is it, your sophomore so after, year? After, after, after two years, after, yeah. after your sophomore year has uh, has expired, um, you know, once they even do that, then the the real value in college sports is supposedly going to decrease because you're not going to have the stars. I kind of don't believe it to a certain extent because it's always been about the name on the front of the jersey and of still yeah. the name on the back and the alumni will certainly want to continue to stand up for their school but it certainly won't be the same. Yeah, and what's the time of one and done? Um, I suspect next year um, and you know that's that's been the, the rumor that next year the uh, NBA and, and the uh, and Players Association will come to a to an agreement that you know they don't need it anymore because it's just yeah. it's just not necessary. And Adam Silver has been pretty vocal about that correct? If which I'm willing to give up the one and done. I think it's part of the negotiation that's going on. Yeah, I mean, well, and the ones using it as a negotiation lever is any union more than yep. anyone else, yeah. uh, because otherwise it's you know it's kind of antithetical in, in, in many ways that uh, you know they want uh, the young kids to come in to take over and right. taking spots from guys who've been members of the union for 10, 11, 12 years. However, it hurts the game right. uh, in many instances to have the one and done. Not only the college game, but in many instances, it hurt the program. I have one more question. Yep. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the world of uh, legalized gambling about the desire, at least by some of the leagues, to have federal regulation. You've heard that from Adam Silver, from Gary Bettman, et cetera. Um, will we hear the same chorus of opinion about a preference for federal over state by state? or the pay-to-play? Yeah, I mean, that goes back to the point I was making, yeah. uniformity. And, you know, obviously... The, the Which would only law, happen in federal, to be clear. Yeah, federal yeah. law federal yeah. law will trump state law yeah. in that instance, the supremacy clause. And, and, you know, if you can get a federal law that is uniform across the board, it's easier for, you know, all parties to deal with. Yeah. Easier to deal with sounds like harder to get done, though. <laughs> of <laughs> course. The way things are these days. Uh, one issue that uh, I, I think we neglected to really cover in depth is the uh, ability of agents to be involved in the process of uh, these uh, student athletes uh, working through endorsement deals. Um, I know that the law provides for uh, agent help uh, solicited by the student athlete uh, in the event that they have uh, an agent deal in front of them, I mean, an uh, endorsement deal in front of them. You know, I, I think that there's a level of naivete with regard to believing that the agents won't stay involved with the student athlete throughout their careers once they get involved. I mean, that's how agents roll, without question. Uh, and I think that they can, unfortunately, the unscrupulous ones can really wreak havoc with not only the process, but with a, a student athlete's life, um, you know, based on the many horror stories that we've seen and heard uh, with athletes being uh, defrauded and otherwise having their eligibility uh, affected uh, negatively uh, because of the presence of agents. So, you know, that's something else that certainly needs to be worked through. And it's the same thing with the, uh, the decision to go pro after, you know, you've, you've played and you still have college eligibility left. Uh, in between the time you make that decision and the deadline to decide whether or not you're going to enter the draft, 
you're allowed to have an agent involved. And don't believe for one second that if you decide to go back to school, that agent is just going to drop that student athlete and let them go. Most of those agents are going to try to find a way to stay involved, even though they'll hide it from the authorities. So, you know, these are things that I think need to be thought through uh, when we think about having them involved and we think about the uh, relationships uh, that student athletes have to develop in order to, you know, make the, the legislation of giving them uh, endorsement opportunities worthwhile. So I think this has been a really enlightening discussion to kind of, especially for a lot of our listeners who may or may not be following that closely, Tom, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, obviously, Len, as a topical issue, you know, we always thank you for coming on and really kind of clarifying it because you have really sit in the unique seat of teaching it and having lived it, which a lot of people who are, especially on the academic side, don't have. So thanks. Yeah, and you've thought about it yeah. through, through yeah. And and I, more I than most athletes. I appreciate yeah. that. And just, yeah. you know, for our listeners to remember, you know, there are some things that I, I know and understand, some things I'm thinking about, other things I've guessed about. So I don't know everything. And, and may, I may have been wrong in some of these instances, but, you know, most of it is all my opinion. So. Yep. Oh, and it's, it's a uh, well-appreciated one, I would say. So, yeah. Tom, if anybody I'm, listening who wants to chat about this, who has, a, has an interest in this uh, and, and some sort of uh, point of view they'd like to share, reach out. Yeah, and follow Len Elmore on Twitter. Too. It's a good topic, so, yeah. So. And follow Len on Twitter, yeah. absolutely. So, Tom, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, well, first, uh, we've been listening, we're talking with our fellow faculty member, Len Elmore, former NBA player, star at Maryland, and a uh, real thoughtful guy when it comes to the world of social justice and athletics, and, and athletes in particular. And so if you want to buy the poster, I'm sure we're going to sell it. So, so Len gets his 15%, uh, you're going to get your 15% retroactively. Mm. We'll work that out. Uh, but thank you, Len. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, Joe, thank you. Yeah. Chat. Yep. Uh, I kind of like the idea of doing like these timely interludes. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And one last pit, uh, pitch for the conference, October 18th. Does anybody know the URL offhand? Okay, that's a job on our yep. part. We don't know the URL, but Google it. Yep, sports management. Actually, actually, if you Google yeah. it, it comes right up. Google yep. uh, Columbia Sports Management Conference, October 18th, as Joe said, affordable tickets. Gonna have a, a great group of speakers. You get to meet Len Elmore. You can get his autograph. Bring your Converse poster for that one. <laughs> Where your cons? Where your, your cons? Hopefully, yeah. we'll see so. some of there. Thanks again. <laughs> Once again, this was the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Favorito with my co-host, Tom Richardson. We'll see you down the line. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.